This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homestyle Radio Preview Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk, the next generation of fantasy football. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Homesdale Radio Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Terence Ford of RedAndBlueArmy.co.uk, and I am here along with James Howland and Will Block to build you up to our must-win match at the Liberty Stadium this coming Saturday. We will also be joined by Swansea fan Abigail Davies and BBC Wales commentator and pundit and former Eagles and Swan Ian Walsh. Before we get into all of that, remember to subscribe to both of our podcasts by visiting holradio.net forward slash subscribe. We can't stand the heat, but we're going to stay in the kitchen anyway, listeners. We're now six matches without a win. Count them. It's another Pardew run. And the crosshairs are hovering over our man in charge. Uh, But we're going to try and wade through all of these ongoings around SC25. To help me guide you through this this week is the only man in history to sell 2,000 books called The Crystal Palace Addiction. That man is, of course, James Howland. Thanks for joining us, James. Thank you for having me. 2,000 sales, you've got to be happy with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was um, only expecting a couple of hundred, to be honest. Um, mm. Who knew that many Palace fans could read? <laughs> well, I don't insult all of our listeners. <laughs> uh, right, we'll, um, we'll touch on your second book in a moment. But first, let me um, introduce our other guest tonight. He is our final trialist of the season, I believe, uh, Mr. Will Block. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Look, Will, you um, were at a famous whole radio recording a year back or so that never saw the light of day because apparently my libelous statements, um, I mean, I can't even spell libelous, seriously, it's underlined in red on the scripts on my screen because I've spelled it wrong. Uh, was I really that bad that day? You were pretty bad, yeah. It was, um, <laughs> ironically, I think it was after the Swansea match. I was home for Christmas last year and, and my mate Patrick, who also um, appears on this show, invited me down the cherry trees with him, which I'm familiar with from years growing up there. Um, yeah, and we all sat around the table, pretty cold, drinking beer except for Patrick, drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's part of the lost footage. So when, when all this is said and done, there'll be some lost footage that can be released <laughs> to keep the memory going. 
it'll probably fetch as much as like those lost beatles tracks and stuff like that i should imagine if if not more really if not more <laughs> right so um listeners to the pod will know that new panel members have to uh, give us a little bit of brief history of their palace supporting career so james we'll start with you mate what was your first ever live palace match um so it was quite a good one it was the playoff final with hopkin looking to curl one Ah, oh, very nice um are you gonna pay that blog for some advertising get some money there i think you should claim it <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's um, it's funny. You get a lot of people of our generation that becomes their uh, first game because you know parents tend to take their kids to the bigger games early on in their life. So um, you're definitely not the first one with that first match. Uh, what about what about you, Will? You know, I've asked my dad a lot, uh, quite a lot what my first ever match was, and he only remembers that I was about five. So it had been around 1981. <laughs> The, the one that really sticks out was the. God, first are you one really? I... Are you are, are you that old, mate? I thought you were younger I than am. that. Oh, yeah, you look I've a lot got, younger. I've, Congratulations. Thank you very much. You full good looks and all that kind of stuff. But, um, <laughs> but the one that really sticks out in my memory, which a lot of people my age um, will remember, is four all away at Leicester. Um, notably for Glenn Pennyfather scoring an absolute belter. And um, I think it was the last game we had of George Wood. I think he came running out of his goal to clear a ball, which he did. If memory serves to Gary McAllister, did he play for Leicester back then? Who then booted it back in from the halfway line. Um, yes. But yeah, four all away at Leicester. That was the first one I really remember. That's very interesting. So you were at that game? I was at that game. That's very interesting. So we, um, I really want to talk about that game, get a couple of people on. I know we're there to talk about it because it just sounds mental. And yeah, I think it was George Wood's last um, league game. I think he played it in the cup game the following weekend. And then that was the end of him. Um, but, you know, he's still getting his brilliant teeth into our current goalkeeping situation so uh <laughs> oh no I'll, I'll leave him alone uh right uh james favorite all-time palace player got to be aj mm. just the amount of goals just pace the fact he nearly single-handedly kept us up um yeah just pure class class for us and, and the fact that when we signed him we weren't expecting it Completely came from nowhere, really. Yeah, definitely. At, it was because uh, it, it was losing Morrison, wasn't it? That was the big thing. It well, was Morrison it. was scoring goals. It was uh, you know to get a deal like that where you know get the money and be given probably the best player we've had or <laughs> most effective player certainly we've had in our generation was was quite nice. Especially my other hero was Clinton, and so that's mm. devastated to lose him. And, and when we had the pair of them playing when he came back was. Uh, that was pretty perfect, to be honest. And Steve sure. a wad of cash as well. <laughs> I'm sure I used to, I've said this before on the pod, but I used to have a poster of Clinton Morris on my front door when I was a teenager. So let everybody know who we supported over here in East London. Um, what about you, Will? Favourite all-time player? I remember, I remember going to Palace, obviously, as a very young kid, and my dad waxing lyrical about Jim Cannon, who was one of my favourite players. But... Just to be contrarian, Vince Soler was my first ever favourite player. I think seeing him running up and down the wing, you know, we had that really sexy kit back in that in that era, and he was yeah. just a class apart. So I'd say Vince Soler is certainly my first ever favourite player. Um, in years more recently, I've really come to like the likes of Jednak for what he brought to the team. Um, mm. But yeah, I would go Vince Soler. 
Okay, listeners, if you scroll down on your little podcast bits on your screen, you'll be able to see that we spoke to Vince Lair in the Burnley preview show. And I think that's been separated out as a separate pod now. And we got a lovely little 15 minute chat with him, him with him on. And hopefully we'll get him back again later in the season. James, finally, your third question. Favourite Palace goal? Oh, yeah, you're making it hard. There's too many good ones. I, I try to remember what a goal is at the moment. Um, <laughs> oh, well, no, that's this. Come on, we're scoring. We're scoring. We'll get yeah, into that. Go on. Go. Think of think of better times. The thrill, the the third Liverpool one. Just the the moment, the emotion, and the, the atmosphere when that went in. Um, when Gailey put that in, and just you know, ending up about five rows further forward in the home cell. Just pure pandemonium everywhere was that was special. That was uh, the. I think that kind of almost completed the journey. I think that was the final moment you could say, "Look where we've come from" in terms of the administration and, and that. I think that just completed that chapter, chapter of our book, really. Yeah, I think um, that's nice there that you've gone for an actual feeling goal a lot of people have taken this and gone for their actual like best goal or whatever it's nice how different people interpret it interpret the question differently uh what about you will are you going to go for a, a thumper or are you going to go for one with a bit more feeling uh I, I think it actually is a bit of both i think i think it was in our promotion season in 1994 um dean gordon scored an equalizer against derby county um mm. to make it one all down in the sainsbury's end and it was an i mean in terms of thumpers i've never seen a ball hit harder straighter and into the top corner as as much as that one so just from witnessing something that was unbelievable dean gordon's goal against derby county um i think it was our 94 promotion season it was even sweeter because um they all came on the pitch when they went one nil up and that obviously upset us a little bit so that one i mean i actually broke down in tears when punch scored at the cup final because i was there with my son um so that was that was an emotional one obviously it didn't end up the way we wanted it to but um i'll go with dino's goal against um derby yeah i'm really it really makes me sad that um punch and goal that we all can't perhaps enjoy it as much as we'd like because of you know how the result ended up but you're right and going back to dean gordon ugh, i some of my earliest palace memories are him just absolutely kicking the lever off of the football it was quite a sight to behold especially when he was taking penalties yeah, I think I think I think there were two goals like that. Well, there's one goal he scored similar to that against Bolton. We'd already been relegated, but up at the Reebok. Um, but yeah, I mean, mm. I, 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 just to touch on the punching goal, just from a you know, obviously I've, I've lived in the states for longer than my kids have been alive, and my son is actually turning 11 on Saturday. Um, so I took him back for the cup final, and he had been back for the playoff final, and it was one of those real proud father moments because I obviously lost it, and I looked round to jump on top of him and hug and celebrate with him and he had lost it and he was jumping on the bloke next to me and so even <laughs> though we eventually found our way back to each other but it was one of those where he just thought you know this means something as much to him as it meant to me um yeah. so you know it's good good parenting on my part or bad depending on how you look at it <laughs> roped him in going back to the ding and goal it's the 5th of february 94 89th minute equalizer yep. after gary charles had given them the lead in the 74th minutes right mr howlands howland not lunds that would be a terrible thing for me to say um the floor is yours a palace addiction too so after the success of your first book um which was the 2009-10 administration season you've 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 gone for it again and this time 
is supporting Palace from abroad, right? From the 14-15 season? Correct, correct. I wanted to give a different perspective. So the first book was all about what we sort of relate to, going home and away, going up and down the country, meeting people on trains, drunken stories, sort of usual Palace bizarreness, obviously with a lot more emotion that season. Um, and as having lived abroad, and it was almost a small cult of supporting Palace of six or seven guys meeting up in the middle of the night in Sydney to, to try and watch the game. Interspersed with when I was travelling, sort of ending up in bizarre and obscure places, watching the matches in Asia, New Zealand, meeting Palace fans, you know, bumped into one halfway up Mount Doom or, or Mount Tongariro, but Mount Doom in Lord of the Rings films in New Zealand. Um, just enjoying sort of following Palace and discovering us from abroad and anyone you met who's a local knew sort of one thing about us, which was we'd stuffed Liverpool up the year before. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then just it was, it was bizarre how didn't settle necessarily that easily in Sydney and meeting Palace fans and having a sort of home game and a routine of going to the same pub for each Saturday and meeting people kind of was the, the footing for me to land land in Sydney and settle there. So. Yeah, yeah, excellent stuff. I mean, I've, I've read your first book. I'm really looking forward to the second one. I, I assume it's in the post. Um, I haven't received it yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so as I say, I really, really enjoyed the first book. And what I also found very interesting of the first book as well was not just the Palace-related stuff, but actually genuinely, and I said this to you when I met you for the first time, wanting to know what happened with your flatmates, which was a running thing going through the book. <laughs> so it was really nice that you had both the football side, but there was actually like a nice, you got a nice sense of you behind it. It as well in your life at the time and I so it definitely wasn't just a one dimen a one dimensional aspect so um, congratulations on the first book and um, as I say I'm really looking forward to getting a second one and obviously mine will be in a post but where would normal normal people be able to purchase your book so it's on Amazon for 8.99 and for the paperback or ebook for 3.99 it should be by the Southampton game in the club shop as well in the club shop oh fantastic news right so palace fans go out and buy that um look at the socials we'll be putting up everything you need to know on there as well and best of luck with that james thank you right we're now getting to doing some real live time palace talk wilfred zaha has been rumored to be picking the ivory coast over england now after being shunted by the england national setup uh will i'm i don't know about you i'm furious about this yeah, fu- furious um, from the standpoint that what more can what more does a player need to do to get recognised and get into the national team? Uh, Wilf's one of my favourite current players. Obviously, he comes up through the youth academy, and even though he went to United and came back, when we were thinking about selling him or rumoured to be selling him earlier in the season, I, would, I was really, really angry, and 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 had a few conversations where I would have just given up on the season, or at least I felt like I was gonna. Uh, but if I'm Wilf, I'm I'm doing it. I mean, I'm not going to get recognised by England. I'm not going to get called up into the squad. So you want to play international football, go and play for the Ivory Coast. It's not like they're a terrible team. Um, so fair play to him. I say, go, I say, go and go and fill your boots out there. Yeah. And you're absolutely idolized when you play for African teams as well. If you look at um, Yaya Torre and I remember watching all the videos when uh, Yannick Balassi was going out and playing for uh, DR Congo, just unbelievable support that they get out of there and um, I, I could see why it'd be appealing as opposed to you know going to a more raw passionate stadium and people being way more into it than the snobby sort of England setup that we're getting over here yeah, what was, about uh, 
Sutton had gone uh, well, gone. I was going to say, I was lucky enough um, through work to be in Lagos during the last World Cup. Mm. And um, every, you know, Ghana, Ghanaian games, Nigerian games, um, they were into it. They had, they had posters everywhere yeah. saying this is a, a, a continent of a billion people with six teams. And they, they all seem to support each other. Obviously, they are partisan towards their own team. But, um, yeah, there was a real feeling that they, they were in it for Africa, not just for their own team. And we've already let um, Victor Moses slip through our fingers because I don't think there's any doubt that he'd be getting in the England team now. Um, James, what about you, mate? Uh, do you think Zaha's good enough for the England squad? Should he be getting in? Well, if Townsend's playing for England, then Zaha's <laughs> got to be. Like, that's, I mean, it's, it's easy to complain about other teams' players getting there, but I suppose the argument is we don't see them every week. But if you compare Townsend to mm. Zaha, there's just no comparison, is there? Right. Every day, like twice the play. Yeah, well, I've um, I was writing about how it really, it really concerned me that Gareth Southgate went to the Burnley game and witnessed firsthand how well Zaha played versus how abject Andros Townsend was, and then to still pick Townsend out, and then you know I've always been in the past a little bit. You know, I don't want to really get on the Wilf in the England squad bandwagon because at the end of the day, I can always have his end product isn't good thrown back in my face. That can't be the case this season. You know, he's he's found the back of the net already. He's already got five assists, which is by f- far and away more than he's ever got in a season before. I think two was his most in the Premier League before this season. Uh, so he's already contributed to six goals and he's only ever done that once in a season before and we're only he's only played 11 games. So the sort of numbers that he's going to be looking to put up is approaching somewhere around, you know, 22, 23 goals created or scored, which... Is, I'm sorry, it's, it's international pedigree. And it's also, for me, offers something, England, something that we just don't have. We have nobody who can take on players. There's, and, you know, he's even topping Eden Hazard, who is supposedly one of the best dribblers in the world in these stats. You know, he's comparable to Neymar with the way he goes around people and so on. So I think it's really, really frustrating that England are just going to let another talent, as harking back to Victor Moses, as I said earlier, that we're going to let another talent go and just be, you know, more more of the same, more yeah. passable inside, keep possession, don't dribble around people. That's not what we want in England. To be honest, I mean... I'm not that fussed about England. If they want to waste a good player, that's kind of their problem. But for us to lose into the African Cup of Nations would be mm. disastrous, really. Yeah. Well, that's why I tried to set my whole argument really around just basing it on the national team. Obviously, I'm really, really annoyed that if that's the case, we'll be losing him for six weeks, especially when you factor in uh, when Pap Suarez fit, we're losing him for another six weeks. Thankfully, the Balassi effect isn't there anymore, but you know, it would have been a major deal for us if we were losing three big players during that period. But... Um, yeah, sis, miffed me. So I just wanted to talk about that before we got into talking about the game. Uh, right, are we? Is this last chance saloon for Pardew? Is is it win or bust for him, Will? Yeah, I think it's been. If you see, if any of you follow me on Twitter, um, I think you'll see it's been win or bust for me for quite some time. I think. I think the real the real issue, as far as Palace are concerned, is if he wasn't an ex ex player, and he didn't have that goal, um, and he didn't have that fanfare that he came back to. Um, we'd have sacked him by now because over the last, what is it, 12 months so far, it's been absolutely terrible. Um, over here in the States, and I, I think you guys got it over there on the on the Palace website, but similar to that, Swansea, Jack to a King, they did a four-part series of Palace over here. And as far as I could tell, it was absolute propaganda to, to you know, 
obviously maximize our marketing capability in the states we wear red and blue we have an eagle as a mascot and we have that really sort of rugged you know grass you know was it um, urban sort of feel that american fans like to think they know what they're talking about they like to think they're they're amongst that kind of thing and um I, i think palace have really painted themselves into a corner by which it's very difficult to sack the manager that was the absolute focal point of that of that entire thing and he came out wearing a green bay packers hat saying he likes lombardi and he comes out saying you know giving his opinions on the super bowl and it's like just shut up and get on with the job for me he's a bit of a one-trick pony and he's a bit too stubborn to to change his ways and as much as i like the idea of being managed by a hero who sort of is the second coming of my all-time hero which is steve koppel it isn't really is it and um we don't have a plan b and god forbid anything happened to ben teke this season that moving the ball up up to him where he does a magnificent job of controlling it and spreading it wide we don't have a we don't have any plan b which is something a lot of people say but so yeah for me um i i would i would i would like to think he's on he's on borrowed time but then again who's the alternative well I think um, the NBC series that you talk of, I I couldn't get through even the second episode. I really tried to watch it. Propaganda, I think, is probably the right word for it. It was just so glossy and packaged and just ridiculous. I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't get through it. And that's coming from a Palace fan who tries to, you know, I have a blog, I do a podcast. I'm trying to consume as much Palace media as possible to be roundly researched in what I'm doing, but I couldn't get through it. Yeah, it was. It was I, I found it. I mean, I, I I think I watched all but the last one because we just kept losing it. It was the start of our losing streak last season. Mm. So I didn't really want to watch anything where... Like, I don't watch Match of the Day if we've lost. So I, I didn't want to watch anything where we're going to lose a game and I know we're going to lose a game. But I found it all a little bit cringeworthy and a little bit, you know, mm. sort of... We've figured something out and aren't we great because we're the plucky underdog family club. And we all know that, but yeah. paint it in a different light. Yeah, so I don't um, I don't worry too much about the Green Bay Packers hat and all of that now because uh, if we sack him, then we'll just probably gain some Chicago Bears fans and Minnesota Vikings fans. So we'll be we'll be all right. Did you manage to watch that NBC series, James? No, like yourself, I watched the first one and kind of gave up after that. It it was just pretty dull, wasn't it? And cringy, <laughs> like you say, it was. There was just nothing of any interest, and it was purely for a different market than your sort of established Palace fan. Um, I do think there was a change in focus, possibly with a change in sort of transfer targets of just what had made us successful over the previous two, three years, kind of coming away from that. And that was just part of that and part of the, the image we were giving off as a club, wasn't there? But, but I, think, I think one thing about those transfer targets, and I've said this to, to mates of mine as well, I, I don't think the fact that he spent so much money, I'm not, I'm not even sure, James, that's what you were, you were alluding to, but the fact he spent so much money, all the players that were brought in were well-recognised, decent Premier League players. So any new manager that replaced Pardew potentially would be fine with having Ben Teke and Andros Townsend and Tompkins and even Mandanda. I mean, they're, they're all established quality players. There was no sort of, this is a player that Pardew's gone or our scouting staff's gone like a, um, Kante that went to Leicester last year. There's no sort of like, I've got a feeling about this player. All of them were, yep, any manager would take him, you know. So I don't I don't see that as having Pardew having too much of an effect on any of those. No, yeah, I, but, I, to be honest, I was going back the previous year, partly Kabai, who's, you know, he's been mixed. He's had some great games. He, he's had some pretty indifferent ones. It's sort of more that we went away from signing young players, cheap players, to going for sort of more money. I suppose part of that's just being in the Premier League, but... 
you know, the, the team that brought us up cost absolute peanuts and kept us there for two years. It was just a change in attitude, right? I'm not saying necessarily rightly or wrong. It was just a, a change in an image that the sort of video, the documentary seemed to go with as well and just changing the feel of the club, really. Well, we haven't come out with any of those Made in South London posters recently, have we? No, <laughs> we certainly haven't. Um, on the on the cover of your new book, it says um, a quote from Milo Jednak, James, said the, the same guys who had taken us up were keeping us up, and that's what made it special. And I think that's the one thing he's done with the new signings is he's, he has stripped that out of the club. And I guess he needed, these players needed to move on and so on. They was obviously getting more on towards the twilight of their career. And I'm not saying Mila Jednak, for example, leaving was necessarily, you know, like the, the worst thing in the world. But do you think it's negligent of the way Pardew's failed to put any leaders into our team? Yeah, I mean, it's a strange one because you kind of, when Scott Dam was alongside Jednak and Delaney, you felt he was another leader. And since he's on his own, he's perhaps not, shining out as a leader in the way we expected. When we signed Kabai, we probably felt he was going to be a leader. Um, it's, he just yeah, gets it, upset when he when something doesn't go his way yeah. and runs around yeah. and gets booked. <laughs> so yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's, it's just not worked out and it's not got that same commitment. If you look, the team that got us promoted, the team that kept us up, and actually I chatted to Matt Lawrence after we won at Watford early last season. And he was saying the feel of the team was the same as that one in administration where they would just fight for it and they wanted it and they knew each other and they knew their roles and they knew their limitations. And, and it worked. And I just feel that something in the balance isn't quite right. And like you said earlier, Will, the signings we've got on paper are decent signings and it's not going to be a problem where I don't think... And that's why I'd actually give Pardew another few games because... I think a new manager, even just a fresh face, even if they're not a great manager, will, will get this team enough, certainly enough to stay up because they are good players and they have got But, but I, think, I think that's the biggest issue with, and, and take, you know, whoever the manager would be, we've got players that, you know, Belgium not too long ago were touted to be one of the best up and coming teams in the world and we have arguably their best striker. You know, um, Townsend was knocking on the England door as was... Wilf and we've got Kabai who is well sought after by other teams so we've got a team there that really is underperforming and yeah. if the team's underperforming that has to come back onto the manager whoever that may be and I just think we're, we are worse than the sum of our parts yeah just I constantly day in day out at work people coming over to me being the resident Crystal Palace fan and you're too good to go down aren't you and I really do worry that we'll still be having the same conversation in another 10 games time or another 15 games time if we don't arrest this soon but um I mean, you've got to feel if we don't win at Swansea or Hull, mm. or, or we, you can't keep Pardew after that. And I've sort of been one of his bigger fans and not been, you know, I've tried to support him. But even I'm thinking now he's got to be coming towards the end. If he can't turn around this, I mean, it's a year now. It's, it's horrendous. The, the whole year of five wins is... Yeah, I know it might be too harsh to say to outside looking in that it's harsh to say that he needs to pick up two wins from our next two away games but the fact is we're not going to pick up any wins at home anytime soon it seems like and he has excelled away from home so I think you're right I think Swansea and Hull are, I think they must win games or at the very least over the next three he has to take around a five point mark I would guess as a minimum and if he doesn't then I think he will be in trouble but I don't I don't certainly don't think he'll go um, if we pick up any sort of result this weekend but 
if he if it's if it's not a win and say God forbid we go and lose there two or three nil, um, it could be very very shaky ground. For I, don't, him. I, I don't think I don't think we do. We, I mean, unless we're playing the likes of Liverpool, where you know it looked like we could have lost six or seven nil at half time in that match, but. I don't think we end up losing two or three. No, we end up losing three two to the likes of Burnley and, mm. and and teams like that. And then we say, but we were so much better than them in the second half, and we created so much. There's always sort of an excuse that things aren't quite clicking. But every game things aren't quite clicking, and every game it seems to be one of the fullbacks. And every game there's something gone awry where we've conceded stupid goals. Mm. I mean that that third goal at Burnley was just criminal. I mean, and that's yeah. got to be the manager. He just totally lost himself in the moment. And I suppose you link that back to the cup final with him dancing on the touchline. Yeah, yeah, that was that was. Not good. Was, what was more criminal is that they let that ex Brighton <clears throat> score yeah. against us in that game. So um, he didn't score in the playoffs. Yeah, well, he didn't score in the playoffs. That's right, and that is what is more important. He didn't score in blue and white. Uh, last two games, Wickham's come off the bench and scored. It looks like that Pardew's going to have to bring him into the starting eleven this week, especially against a weaker team that uh, we go on to speak to Swansea fan Abigail after this, and she will mention about Swansea a week when being pressed high up the field. And I think Wickham did a really good job against City and Burnley when he came on in the last two games. So would you put him straight in, Will? Put him into a more sort of four four two formation? Um no, I think I think we found a position where if it's not broken, don't fix it. He's a he's a very good, a very effective substitute coming in off the bench. And if we're gonna if we're gonna chop and change the yeah, I mean no, I, I think I think by the time he comes on, we've done a lot of sort of um, tenderizing of their back four with with Wickham, sorry with um, Wilf and Punchin and and um, and Benteke and the likes getting at them. By the time they come on. He's just a big, strong, powerful bloke that can that can create those goals. And that goal against Man City at the other the other day was was brilliant. But mm. I'm not sure we want to play all of our chips at the very beginning of a match. Yeah, I think that's a very underrated aspect for, uh, to a tactical game of that sort of teams being battering rammed and then it opening it up with the last 20 minutes and so on for people to take advantage. So you might have a good point there. What about you, James? Do you are you of a similar vein, or are you going to uh, go for Wickham in the starting? Deserve to start, but. You've got to play Benteke. And I just think back to that Bournemouth game where we played the two of them and predictably, as it never works, with 4-4-2, we don't have any fielders to play it. And then you end up with Wickham on the wing, which is just a waste of him. So, unfortunately, I think I'd have him on the bench to come on and be the super sub. But he, he, I'd gut it for him because he deserves to. And that, I mean, that first touch for the goal against City was, was outstanding. Mm. It was excellent. Yeah, for me, Connor Wickham in the last two games when he's come on, it's not been so much more in the conventional 4-4-2 sort of like we started that Bournemouth game with when everyone was really excited before the match on social media. And we, yes, we're finally playing 4-4-2. And I joked on Twitter that um, you say it's a 4-4-2, but Connor Wickham would probably be playing wide left in a 4-5-1. And within 15 minutes of the game, he was shunted out on the left wing. But when he's been coming on in the last couple of games, I think it's been more in the Pulis sort of vein of the Marouane Shamak role in a 4-4-1-1. And I think he's done really well there. So maybe there's something in with him starting the game. That's a role he could play. But um, as you so eloquently put, Will, I think it's um, tenderising and then bringing him on as a super sub could be... There could be something in that. Um, right, next up, we're going to 
hear a little bit of a jingle and then we will be hearing from Swansea fan Abigail Davies. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. Right, we are now joined by a Swansea fan and star of Jack to a King documentary feature film of Swansea City's journey from League Two to the Premier League, Abigail Davies. Thank you for joining us, Abigail. My pleasure. Right, so you've had a um, an entertaining start to the season, shall we say. You're, you're already on to your second manager. How did you feel about the sacking of the first one? Was it a bit harsh? Yeah, definitely. The timing of it was quite perplexing, really. Um, the way he was treated was hugely disrespectful. And I think that was the overwhelming feeling amongst fans. We weren't really always on board and didn't agree with the tactics that he implied. But it was the wrong decision for us. On the back of games against Man City and Liverpool, um, he was sacked two games in which performances were starting to improve. There were signs of encouragement. And it just felt to us that the decision had been made prior to that and the new owners had already made that decision to get rid of him before those games because on the back of two games like that you wouldn't have got rid of him anyway and with the performances improving you know it just seemed like the completely wrong time to do so. Mm, I remember watching the Liverpool game which I think was the one before he went and it was a very very good performance and I thought you were very unlucky to not um, get anything from that game. Uh, What I've always admired far from Swansea is their choice of managers. They've always tended to do well and get it right so with that in mind how are you feeling about Bob Bradley? I feel that um, the signing of bringing Bob Bradley in if you like um, it just shows where we are at the moment as a club from board level to pitch. It's all really discouraging. As you said, we've always had a record. Hugh Jenkins in particular has always had a track record of bringing in the right manager to to uh, improve us and take us forward, bringing in Brendan Rodgers, even Paolo Sousa to an extent, even though it wasn't entertaining to watch. Um, he did make us more solid defensively after Roberto Martinez. So, you know, it was it's always been encouraging and you've always been able to understand why we've gone for certain managers. But with Bob Bradley, his lack of experience is showing already. And, you know, even though it was a slightly improved performance against Everton, it couldn't really have been any worse than the Man United game. His team selection, the tactics, formation, they all just suggest he's out of his depth. And I know that he's come from the French second division and he didn't do very well over there. So there's nothing to suggest that it's going to be very positive over here. And I don't I don't think many people have much faith at the moment. OK, Will, I'm going to be really, really generic here. Is that the right word? Probably not. Um, you're, you, live in Ameri- you live in America. <laughs> Talk I about do. Bob Bradley. How's he seen out there? Yeah, actually, you know what? I, I and Patrick, who's, who's not here right now, will, will comment on this. I don't, I don't pay that much attention to the American national team until it comes to the World Cup because they have such an easy rude road, to, road to the World Cup that it's not really that exciting to watch. So I know he did he did really well. I think he got them to the quarterfinals um, in a World Cup that he, he was manager, or maybe even twice got them out of the group stage. Um, so I think he's he's, sort, he's seen as kind of a, a good, solid manager. I think he felt like, or the impression we were given over here on the, M, on the NBC coverage in the States was that this was a, a good, bold appointment. He'd, he'd sort of served his time. I think he went and managed Egypt, for a while during their um, during that during a fairly tumultuous time over there, to say the least, and then he was in France, and I think he almost got the French side promoted within the last five minutes of the season, or something like that. So, you know, he's got international experience more in more than one country. He's got domestic experience, I think, in the Netherlands and France. So, if you were looking for an up and coming manager, 
you would go for him. I may be mistaken. I haven't done enough of the homework that I should have done, but I think um, Swansea have got some American investors at the club, much like we do. Is that right? Unfortunately um, so. Yeah, so if, if that's the case, to me, it always smelt a bit like, you know, how can we get other Americans to be in there manage, you know, as part of the setup to maybe in a similar sense to the, I'll just say the team down the street, how they tried to sell themselves to their Asian investors by changing colours. It sort of <laughs> smells a bit like they're trying to sell Swansea to the American investors by having an American coach. So uh, I, th- I think his track record is actually pretty good. If he wasn't having such a hard time, I think they'd say it was a, a great appointment. But um, yeah, I mean, he, he seems to have done pretty well in, in, in charge of the US when he well, was there. According to his Wikipedia, he went to Princeton and played for the Princeton Tigers. So I've heard of that university, and it sounds like a good name. Very American. Yeah, Princeton, so... yeah, Princeton are one of the Ivy League schools, so they're up there with the Harvards and the Yales and the UPens of the of the country. So that's you know he's obviously an intelligent bloke. So there you go, Abigail. If anything, you're going to get some eloquent um, press conferences, even if it is with a funny accent. Um, well, so go, going back to, um, I, I was assuming that you'd be buoyed by the Everton result, but you sound a, li- a little bit disappointed, really. Um, yeah, I think that's mainly because um, so far this season, when we have performed well, we've not really followed that up the following week. Um you know, we're encouraged by a performance and then the next week we play a team and we just sit deep, we don't press them. And it's just, we're showing, the players are showing that they've got it. But then I think a lot of it stems down to a lack of confidence. Um, and again, the team selection really does, we're making, last week we made eight changes and I'm not confident that he'll stick to the same starting eleven this weekend. And, you know, you just can't expect any cohesion amongst the players and there's not really any partnerships developing when Brendan Rodgers was in charge and he got us promoted to the Premier League you had so many partnerships within the side the left back with Scott Sinclair for example and within the midfield they all knew how each other played but at the moment we don't have that because there are so many changes to the side each week so yeah I'm not really that confident if I'm honest. Yeah, I remember the Brendan Rodgers side. Well, that season you got promoted. You beat yeah. us 3-0 twice, and I don't remember us touching the ball. It was horrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, relegation, is it is it a genuine worry for you? Most definitely. Um, I think the biggest, well, the two biggest things for me are getting rid of Ashley Williams. Um, we've lacked any direction, purpose. And without Ashley Williams on the pitch, we've lacked a leader. There's nobody else who's stood up and taken that role on. We've got um, Mawson that we've brought in, a really promising centre-back. And he scored an own goal, um, I think it was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, he scored an own goal. And there was nobody there to pick him back up. And I think it's pivotal for his career, his future, that he needs someone like Ashley Williams alongside him to pick him up when things like that happen. And then the second one for me is not bringing Joe Allen back. We had the opportunity in the summer to re-sign him. We would have been getting back a much better player than we sold to Liverpool. And we just didn't seem interested. And I think that lack of ambition from higher up within the club is really showing now on the pitch. Mm, yeah, I think um, you, a lot of what you touch on there is similar problems that we're having at Palace at the moment, yeah. especially with leadership on the field. I mean, and <laughs> it's funny how uh, much like Crystal Palace fans, they're talking about you want to go and re-sign old players. Um, <laughs> we have a big, <laughs> big thing at that at Palace. Uh, so, what um, what are we going to have to do to pick up a result on the weekend? What's the best ways for us to break you down? I'd say if you just press us high up the pitch, you'll inevitably force errors. Um, 
we're you know defensively we're not very solid at the moment as I picked up on we're chopping and changing the back four constantly so there's you know there's no real leadership in that back four there's no real understanding and I think Joe Ledley is going to be key in the midfield battle for you um we've been overrun in the past few games in midfield and I think with his track record obviously I'm a massive Joe Ledley fan being Welsh um <laughs> he's able to command the midfield he breaks up play really well and you know he's able to pick out a good pass as well so he's all the attributes that could break us down on Saturday yeah well he's fighting fitness I think so you might yeah. be lucky or unlucky because obviously you want to see him but yeah. <laughs> and he's beautiful <laughs> oh no I'm not so sure I want to see him in a palace shirt <laughs> if I'm honest <laughs> yes um right okay so we end we'll end on a prediction uh what do you fancy you can get anything or you sound pretty pretty um unconfident yeah I'm gonna go for one all that's what it's been for the and last that, couple of years, I think. And that's the height of optimism for me at the moment, <laughs> predicting a draw. So, yeah. Uh, one, I, I'd take a nil-nil. I'd love a clean sheet. Can we have a clean sheet? Can we do nil-nil? Is that all right? No. <laughs> <laughs> you can have one nil to Swansea, but no. <laughs> okay. There's no chance of you keeping a clean sheet. Sorry, I want goals. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. Okay, we are now joined by a man that played for both clubs during his career and now works for BBC Wales. And of course, he joined us a couple of weeks back to discuss the famous 1979 win over Burnley. It is, of course, Mr. Ian Walsh. Right, Ian, so since we last spoke, um, Palace obviously lost 3-2 up at Burnley and then lost again 2-1 to Man City. What what have you thought about Palace's form from the outside? Well, you know, it's really frustrating, obviously, you know, having, having represented the club, uh, it's frustrating to see how things... You know, it's similar to Swansea, who obviously they play Saturday. Palace and Swansea, you know, for, for the talent they've got within the, the club, they, they shouldn't be where they are, but league tables don't lie. Uh, both teams are doing really poorly at the moment and desperate for for a result. You know, from from a Palace point of view, you know, all the pressure on the manager. You know, I don't suppose that helps. But at this stage of the season, we're relatively early in the season still, um, and and it, it's already going to be a six pointer this weekend. Yeah. So, do you think both teams will be going into this game thinking it's the perfect team to play to try and uh, get a win under their belts? Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I think that. Uh, you know, to be fair, that uh, Palace have had Man City, which was it was a tough game anyway, uh, because Man City got you know they're loaded with top class talent. From Swansea's point of view, they they did really well at Goodison against Everton, you know, and conceded in the last five minutes, so they'll be really frustrated. So I I, I do believe that uh, you know the confidence you know factor for both teams will be really low, but Swansea being at home might expect a bit more, but. Uh, you know, uh, Pardew and the boys, uh, you know, they're, they're under severe pressure to, to get a result. So I, I do agree with you totally that uh, it's an opportunity for both sides, really, to uh, to set their season on their way. You know, if, if, if either side can get three points at the weekend, it might give them just that boost before Christmas to push on for uh, early next year. Can you um, pinpoint what's been going wrong with Swansea? Because from the outside looking in, a few watching a few live games on TV, they've put in some decent performances, but not been picking up the results. Yeah, I, I think it's basically down to not scoring and not creating enough uh, goals. I think that that's that's the uh, the issue. You know, 
they've had a couple of blips defensively. Uh, I think the new manager, the American uh, manager that's come in, he's he's sort of uh, with some of the formations he's teetered with, and, and he hasn't quite got it right. But I think this time now, just to settle down into a, a steady eleven that starts and uh, get a bit of continuity. And I think the fact that you've got a new manager coming in and it hasn't started particularly well, pressure was on him as well. So, um, you know, very, very similar to, to, to Alan at, um, at Palace. You know, it's really difficult when you have a situation where it's really frustrating when you know you've got the talent on the field, but they're not producing the goods. And it's been reported today that Key's going to be missing for Swansea. Is that, is that a big loss for them? Uh, on a personal note, I don't think it's a massive loss. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure whether Leon Britton is going to be fit in that centre midfield. But they've got some, you know, uh, Jack Hawke is in there. I think he's a really talented player. And Sigurdsson. I think it's the lads up front, really. Uh, Borja and, uh, is one player that costs £15 million and he hasn't scored. Uh, I think he's maybe got one goal uh, this season, which is not good enough for that sort of return. Uh, so... You know, there's talent. You know, look at Palace. Palace are full of talent uh, in, in lots of positions. It's just about bringing it together, getting a bit of luck, getting the three points on the board. And uh, both sides, Swansea and Palace, obviously both very close to my heart. But, you know, I'm sure and I pray that uh, things will start to get going for both teams uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, so you represented both teams. Um, is it an easy one for you on a day? Who did you favour one side for the result? Well, not not really. I'll be I'll be down there uh, representing sort of BBC Wales uh, BBC Wales Radio uh, doing the the second voice, the commentary uh, for for the Swansea. So, uh, you know, I don't think a point for each club will make any difference. I think being absolutely ruthless, both clubs need the three points at this stage, possibly for slightly different reasons. Obviously, the manager at Palace is under pressure. Three points for him uh, would would give him a great boost uh, but Swansea need the points because they're six points adrift to Palace so uh, you know that's that's crucial for Swansea as well and, and for me I'd, you, you could appreciate I'll have to sit on the fence on this one I, I, I just <laughs> wish that there were three points available for both teams uh, I understand that um, so what you say you're working for BBC Wales Radio down there on Saturday what, give us a little peek behind the curtain what's your day like down there well, what, what I would do, you know, I, I live in live in South Wales. I don't actually live in Swansea. I would get to the ground for about 12.30 uh, and I'd meet up with all the, some of my old, like Alan Curtis. I'd have to say hello to him. You know, he was manager, actually, when he, when they played at Palace last year. Um, so I'll bump into him, say hello, get a few, uh, you know, thoughts from him. I'll also just, you know, wait around in the media area and then go up to the, the point at about two o'clock when we go on air and, um, you know, we'll start because we always go premiership first because it's obviously the highest level. And then from between two o'clock till about six o'clock, I'll be, uh, you know, on air doing the commentary with my fellow commentator and, um, and I'll be pinching myself if one team doesn't score or the other team scores. So <laughs> usually if, if, if Swansea score, uh, against another team, you know, I'll be really excited, but I'm not so sure what my mood will be like tomorrow, <laughs> oh, on Saturday, thank you, pardon. So, what, what's your prediction going to be for the game, then? Well, let, let, let's say, uh, I, I think that Swansea, 
I know the Palace fans are not going to like me for this, but I think Swansea, because they're near miss at Everton, I think they, and they're at home, I think they're slight favourites. So I think the Swansea uh, might win by the odd goal. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Homesdale Radio, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Right, thank you to Abigail and Ian Walsh there for joining us and giving us their various insights on Swansea. Now we are going into our listeners' predictions before we get our panel's predictions. Uh, what do we got here at... At Timothy Green 88 has simply said, if we fail to win, Padre has to go. Been a big Padre supporter, but genuinely worried about relegation. At Nick Palace Hage has predicted a 2-2 draw. Jeff at GP London, 2-1 to Swansea. Ben Teke won't score, but Dwight Cowell will score too for Newcastle. Um, there is actually someone on Twitter, a Palace fan at the moment, putting a £10 bet on Gal to score every, two or more in every game this season so far. Individual £10 bet. Needless to say, he is cleaning up. Um, at Muffin Brucey has gone for a 3-1 Palace win. Optimistic there. At Cyboy74 thinks it has 1-1 written all over it. And Chris Hoynes says 2-1 to Palace. Oh, and Nick, Mr. Nick Philpott of the whole, whole Radio Parish has gone for a 2-1 win with Dan and Zaha scoring. But this will only prolong the inevitable, he says. Before I get you two guys' predictions, I'm going to hit you with some stats. This is the 23rd league meeting between the clubs. Five wins, eight draws and nine losses. Our biggest win came in 1948. That feels like the last time we actually won a game as well, which was 4-0. The Swans are beating us 3-0 on a few occasions for their biggest win. Uh, we've only had one win against them in the last 10, scoring just four times. But weirdly, we are unbeaten in the last five, uh, winning one of those games and drawing the other four. Um, we've only won once at Swansea as a professional team. So that's great. I think that was 3-1 circa 2008, 2009. Uh, we did beat them once away from home in our Southern League days. The referee is going to be Kevin Friend. Uh, we've won just one of the six games that he's refereed. Drawing two and losing three. One of those defeats was actually two Swansea. The 2 0 loss at Sadars Park when um, Michu scored and run the show, I believe. And But the other two defeats did come against Chelsea. So maybe it's not all doom and gloom where Kevin Friend is concerned. Uh, Will, prediction, oh, that... mate. Sorry, I cut in there too quick. I was at that 3 1 game. I flew home for that. Um... Not just for that, but just for a piss up for a weekend and see some mates and Swansea away was the game. So um, I'm going to go with three. Fly I'm, over this weekend. Um, I'll be back. <laughs> well, I'll be. I'll, 
Yeah, I've seen us win away at Arsenal as well, so I'll be back for that one this season. So you can mark that down as three points as, as a gift from me. Was um, that 93, 94? 94, beat, 95, sorry, yep, Arsenal? we beat them 2-1. Uh, yeah. Johnny Salad scored them both. But back to the Yeah, that was the my first game. ever Palace game, mate. Was it? Yep. Excellent. Mm. Um, I'm going to go for a 3-1 win again because I think we get to the point where Pardew should be sacked or will be sacked and then something happens and suddenly everyone's happy and rosy again. Um, so I'm going to go for a 3-1 win. Uh, Benteke 2 and Kabai 1. Well, as Abigail said in her um, little spiel, she thinks that you can get at Swansea if you press them high up the field and there's definitely not been any lack of that from us this season so far. So I could see that happening. What about you, James? Well, I was going to uh, was thinking 1-1 one, one written all over it until you mentioned that 3-1. If, if Shefki Kucci can go there and dominate a game, then it gives me all the confidence for a 3-1 win as well. So I think Ben Teke and Kabai sounds like a good bet without copying Will too much. Um, I <laughs> chuck a third goal scorer in, I suppose. We'll go, we'll go with Martin Kelly. Be like top oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> just because he hasn't been mentioned much. No. <laughs> yeah. Based on that, I'm going to go for a 1-0 Swansea win with a Martin Kelly own goal. I think that's about <laughs> the closest Martin like Kelly's it. going to get to scoring. <laughs> right, um, at Homesdale Radio, we decreed that there actually has never been a classic match between um, Crystal Palace and Swansea. So we decided to mix this feature up a little bit this week. And instead, we looked at players that have played for both clubs. Obviously, we spoke to Ian Walsh earlier and on the pod a couple of weeks ago. So we didn't think that it would be right to include him in the vote. Uh, we did include Chris Coleman, aforementioned Shefki Kuchi and Wayne Routledge. And Wayne Routledge won the vote with 64%. And that is who we will talk about after this brief jingle. Got something you'd like to get off your chest? Tweet us now at Whole Radio. An incredible afternoon was brought to a sumptuous end when Wayne Routledge served up his own contender for the showboat before firing a low shot past Ed DeHoy. All aboard. 6-3. What a scorcher. Right, Wayne Neville, Anthony Routledge. Did any of you know that that was his middle names? Neville's a, no. always a good name. <laughs> Born in Sidcup on the 7th of January 1985, um, came through the Palace Academy and he made his debut for the club on the 31st of October 2001 as a sub against West Brom, aged just 16 years old. He would appear again later that season in a 2-0 win over Preston. His full, his full debut would come the following season on the 14th of September 2002 in a 4-2 win over Wolves. What did he do in that game, guys? Scored in the first minute. Oh, what a banger it was as well. Um, in the 2002-2003 season, he'd start 15 games against all competitions, appearing as a sub a further 14 times, and he'd score four goals goals. Um, the start of the following season under Kemba saw him in and out of the side until December when Ian Dowie arrived and then after that he started every single game for the rest of the season scoring six times and assisting many more as Palace stormed up the league and into the Premier League via the playoffs 
following season, Wayne would start every single game for Palace in the Premier League, but he failed to find the net on a single occasion. However, his eight assists that season drew attention from Spurs. And after Wayne refused to sign a new contract, um, I think an, an often forgotten fact, <laughs> he moved to North London for a mere 1.25 million in a fee that was decided by a tribunal. He finished having played 123 times at Palace scoring 10 times. The fee would have arisen to £2 million, but Wayne Routledge failed to meet any of these add-ons at Spurs as his move drastically failed. In fact, not scoring in the Premier League became a thing for Wayne. He made his Premier League debut on the 14th of August 2004 for Palace, but he would not score in the Premier League until the 2nd of January 2012 for our opponents on Saturday Swansea, and that's just a whopping 2,697 days later. Um, he failed to break into the Spurs side, playing just three times in 05-06 season before he headed to Portsmouth on loan, where again he would only start three games, but making 10 appearances from the bench. 6-7 was just as frustrating for him. Um, there was not even a looking at Spurs. He spent the season on loan at Fulham, playing 24 times for the Western, Western, the West London outfit. He did score a goal for Fulham, however, uh, the winning goal in a 4-3 win over Leicester in the FA Cup. 07-08 saw just two more appearances for Spurs before permanently moving to Aston Villa in the January. However, he would not play for the Villains until April. And in 08-09, uh, it would see the end of his Premier League nightmare. Just one more sub-appearance follow for Villa. But he failed to settle in and headed to the Championship and Cardiff City on emergency loan, which was allowed because of injuries to Peter Whittingham and a certain Joe Ledley. He was scored twice for the Bluebirds in nine appearances. Cardiff was subsequently offered Villa three million for Wayne, but he would reject a move in favour of QPR and would join them shortly after for 600k. This move would also end up to be a bit of a damp squib. He was scored just once in 19 appearances at the back end of the season and 9-10 would he did bag a hat-trick against Exeter in the League Cup before moving again in January, this time to Newcastle. His debut for the Tomb would come against Palace on that infamous day where Palace were plunged into administration in 2010, which, um, James, you, you had in your book that day. You could, Did you have um, a few a few of the players write to you about that the experience yeah, that day? Yeah, a few of them. Clint, Clint Hill was saying that, obviously, they all got off the, um, the aeroplane. Matt Lawrence was scared of flying. He said the only similarity between him and Dennis Bergkamp. And, uh, <laughs> so he was going up on his motorbike and he texted them all. So they got off the plane to a text from Matt Lawrence just saying, we've lost 10 points. But Clint, Clint Hill said that all their phones went off and they wondered if Warnock had been sacked. <laughs> they, <laughs> they knew something was up because they all got a text and they were trying to work out what it was before they saw it. So, did we go up by a plane and back by a bus? <laughs> I think they hitchhiked home. Yeah, they walked back, yeah. Uh, right, so at that season for Newcastle, we'd score three times in 17 appearances, which suggested that he was fitting in at Newcastle and they were promoted to the Premier League as champions. However, his Premier League struggle continued into 2010-11 and after failing to impress any 17 appearances in the January, he was loaned back to QPR and it was Neil Warnock's QPR by this time after he had left unceremoniously from SE25 the season before um, this meant that he had now moved in the January window in five of the last six seasons and um, both Ian and um, 
Abigail touched on how he was at many clubs during his career. Um, he found the net five times in 20 appearances as QPR stormed to the title that season. And But in August 2011, he was on the move again. And this time it was to Swansea for an undisclosed free. And he's been there ever since. Um, he's played 193 times for the Swans, scoring 18 times. And um, you will now hear some thoughts from Ian Walsh on Wayne's time at Swansea. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. You know, Wayne's contribution to Swansea City has been excellent. I think the biggest difference with Wayne Routledge and any other club that he's played for, and and my goodness, there's been a few, I think (laughs) the, the, the fact that he's been given a free reign you know, the managers have just let him go, do his own thing. And, uh, you know, he's, he's formed some really good combinations. He's played wide mainly. He's played through the front uh, on occasion. But he's nice combinations, especially with Angel Rangel on the right-hand side of the fullback. And uh, the only thing with, with Wayne, he lacks that final killer ball or that final shot on target. He should score more goals and he should create more chances. But he's learned to play a different way at, at Swansea, and uh, everybody at Swansea thinks really highly of him. Right, so, um, James, what, what are your memories of Routledge? Uh, it's sort of around the time when you was a teenager, right? Yeah, so funnily enough, his debut against West Brom was actually the last game my dad went to without me until I was in Australia a couple of years ago, which was also against West Brom. Um, so, yeah, so I missed his debut and then he played in the League Cup against Plymouth and he missed that. Then I was there when he, for his full debut when he scored that absolute belter mm. um, sort of a minute in. Is it Wolves, did we say? Yep, 4-2 against Wolves, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic match. Um, I remember, so after Kit Simons was in charge and he dropped Dougie Friedman mm. after the crew game in the fog. Yep. And we played Forrest at home. And he put AJ and Wayne up front. I remember thinking, well, there's absolutely no height there, so we just got to run at them. We scored a beautiful breakaway goal. We're out the tram through the middle and then just laid it off perfectly for AJ to score and start his scoring run that sort of took us up from a relegation zone. So that was, that was a good one. They did the same, didn't they, at Birmingham in the Premier League a um, year later uh, to mm. stuff Steve Bruce. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was uh, I was playing uh, really sort of high level Saturday league football at that point. I guess I guess semi pro level, and um, I was walking past a pub on my way to the game, and I thought I'll just poke my head in and see what the score is. And just as I poked my head into the pub, Wayne Routledge was breaking over the halfway line, and um, so I just sort of walked in this pub in East London. We scored. I went mental in the pub. Everyone sort of turned around and looked at me and thought, who's this jackass? And then I just walked back out. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was the end of that. Um, so, Will, what, 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 share us some memories of yours of Wayne Routledge. Well, I might, mine are a little bit um, fewer. I, I was living in the States by the time he broke into the first team. So, being in the championship or whatever it was called back then, um, mm. we didn't get much unless um, you got a dodgy feed or, or one of the... Um, one of the um, what was the Irish channel called? But we didn't get a lot of football over here anyway. So I heard from my old man who's, who's went then and still goes now um, when he scored that goal against Wolves and I managed to see that on television. And ironically, Wolves, apart from natural rivalries like Brighton and Millwall, Wolves were my 
most hated team at the time. So I was delighted that we spanked them <laughs> and um, delighted to hear about this new up and coming prospect that had um, a young kid coming through the ranks, which was brilliant. Um, I remember seeing a lot more of the, I went back for the playoff final against West Ham and um, a few other games here and there. And then got to see a lot more, lot more of um, Palace when we were in the Premier League that year, albeit not as much as we get now. But I remember an assist he sent to AJ, I think it was Norwich away in the first game of that season, just thinking we've got, you know, th- these two link up really, really well and just really excited about the prospect of having him. And, and when we got relegated that day, I'll tell you a really brief story about that relegation was that instead of playing all the games live at the same time, Fox, in their infinite wisdom, decided to play them all sub- subsequently. Um, <laughs> so I remember watching the um, Southampton Man United game on mute, but knowing that um, fans were jumping up and down at various points when their team wasn't scoring. And then I watched the Fulham... Did Fulham play Norwich? Norwich, 6-0. Yeah, so then all the goals seemed to correlate between the times that the Saints fans were jumping up and down and the time that um, Norwich or Fulham scored. So I, I, I was fairly confident going into, that, into our game and obviously it didn't work out so well. But yeah, just seeing him walk off the pitch crying, I think it was, and then finding out he hadn't signed the contract and just thinking like so many other players that were either before him or since him, like Victor Moses or Ben Watson or players that we seem to have developed. You know, it's like an opportunity missed, you know, a player that really should have spent his career at Palace. And unfortunately for us, it wasn't to be. Yeah, when and got ruined by the Spurs, ruined by Spurs. Not the first and not the last Crystal yeah. Palace player. <laughs> I was thinking that a tribunal decision that a player that was went to Spurs. Yeah, we've seen that before, yeah. haven't we? We certainly have. Right, so that was our little profile there on Wayne Routledge. Thank you to Ian Walsh for that input <laughs> there. Sorry, we we can't have a Wayne Routledge feature and not mention that sixth goal against Stoke where he did the three sixty turn. <laughs> Okay, uh, I think we've had um, Albert talking about how um, the really, really awkward season review commentary, which <laughs> was all aboard <laughs> when he does the sort of like 360 spin. Yes, it was very nice. Um, and really, I suppose we should also be mentioning about um, Wayne Routledge really just being swamped by baggy shirts. That's what I seem to remember yeah, about yeah, Wayne. They loved a big shirt. <laughs> I think they all did back then. It's um, quite different to... Ship, whatever ship it, didn't. Yes, Shipley was already modelling the new tight body fit shirts that you get today, you know. The athletic Um, range. The athletic range, total ones indeed. Right, so we'll end that profile on Wayne Routledge there. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, We'll do that again later this season if we ever struggle to find a classic match again for you guys. Homesdale Radio, sponsored by fanduel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. That's almost it for this week. Uh, thanks to Ian Walsh and Abigail for Davies for that insight into the opposition. Of course, I should also thank our producer Tav for his wonderful work. Um, I think it's a difficult one for him this week. Uh, I must also thank James Howland for joining us with this week. Best of luck with your book, mate. Thank you. And of course, thank you to Will Block all the way from, uh, well, Boston, but usually Philadelphia. Usually Philadelphia, 355-mile drive just now to be here live for you guys. 
brilliant you could have probably got to here and actually done it in my living room just as quick um you will be able to catch will on the review show live on sunday nights when he will join hambo and both of the knicks to discuss the outcome of saturday's match if listening live interferes too much with your sunday night tv viewing the podcast version of the show will be available shortly after it finishes you can ensure that you never miss another hol radio pod by heading to holradio.net net 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 forward slash subscribe if you want to contact the show you can email us on preview podcast at wholeradio.net feedback rumble stories or suggestions for next week's classic matches are all welcome the votes for the classic match against Southampton to be remembered on next week's show will be open from Tuesday morning on Twitter you will find that at whole radio we will, of course, be back in your ears next Thursday to preview the Southampton match. And until then, up the palace. What I think is against Man City, against Man City and Burnley when he came on, it wasn't more of your conventional four-four-two like it was against Bournemouth. Mm. He was deeper, wasn't he, against uh, City when he came on? Hello. That, yeah, that may have been less, less, less our, less our tactics, more theirs. Yeah. True. Hello. Is it just the two of us now? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe his remote control's broken again. Oh god! Maybe he's celebrating Arsenal scoring. Oh god! It's an own goal as well. Parents well. Ford, where are you? Oh, you're back. Oh no, wrong person. No, that's the wrong person. <laughs> Sorry guys, my my controller went off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right, what? Where? Where did I get up to when I was talking? I'll carry on from there. You said it was slightly different from a four-four-two. Okay. Oh, is that what you heard? Is that what you heard? Sorry, Tav. You... The Xbox. Why would the Xbox? <laughs> why would Xbox design a controller that, when you're using an app and you're using the microphone that is plugged into the controller, it would turn off? Well, it makes no sense. You know, earlier on when it happened, yeah, wouldn't have been it been a great idea to go into your settings and change it so it didn't do it? Or press a button every now and then. Well, yeah. that's what I'm doing. I've been trying to like wiggle the joystick every now and then. I bet you have. <laughs> <laughs> that's really alarming. Hearing that while we've been talking to you. <laughs> uh, I don't know where to go into the settings. I don't know how to do this. So Everyone's in touch. <laughs> the Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them. Honestly, if you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. 
SteveMcDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.